This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. We are so glad to be back. We've had a little bit of a break. We have missed these discussions, so we're so grateful that you've joined us. And we do hope that your New Year gumption has carried you through here to the first weeks of 2019. But if your enthusiasm for the new year is starting to wane, Hannah and I want you to know that you are not alone. (laughs) Hannah, do you still have a little bit of that new year excitement in you? I don't know if I ever had it. Like (laughs) It was was never there? No, I was so tired from just surviving 2018 and getting through the holidays that like January rolled around and I was like, meh, all right, whatever. (laughs) Well, I always love the new year. I, I know you know this because I say it all the time. I like it because I think of, of it as like, oh, it's a fresh start and it's a clean slate. But even so, I'm, I'm really well aware that this notion of a clean slate when it comes to like changing your life and having new routines, I know that those embedded patterns of thoughts just come back to haunt you. It's not like there really is a clean slate. Like you still have to deal with the way that your brain has been functioning for the past however many years of your life. But I still get excited about it. But this is the point of the year, like mid-January, where you start to realize, oh, making resolutions, those are like dreams and wishes. And then there's the hard work of, oh, I have to change stuff. I think weird and I can't stop thinking the way I think. Yeah. And that's what's always struck me as the inherent difficulty of the New Year's resolution is you're flipping the calendar and maybe you're changing your context, but you carry yourself right into the new year. So it's wherever I go, there I am. (laughs) It's not like suddenly you're going to become a person who loves to eat healthy or Or go to bed on time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like stop being on the internet. (laughs) All of that. (laughs) It doesn't like something deeper is consistently with you. And unless you kind of reach down and identify that, you know, all of our things we want to change won't get changed, which I'm not saying it's depressing and discouraging. And if you are going along well with changes in your life, yay for you. Yes. High fives all around. But I do kind of, as I get older, I'm just kind of like, meh. I'm not sure I'm going to change. <laughs> As I think about the things in my life that have changed, they have always been slow and steady and never like flip the switch and ta-da, yes. it's magic. Yes. It's more like over the course of time, it's like I'm processing and maybe I'm I'm trying the, re- the same resolution for like five, six years. And then over time, as you're thinking about things, 
there, there can be a shift, but it's never just a matter of deciding. It, it's much deeper. Like you said, you kind of got to get down underneath the surface of why am I doing what I'm doing and why do I think the way I think? Because all of that is affecting my outward life and it, it shapes how I live. And so the slow changes for me, um, they're encouraging, but I have to admit, I still would love the idea of the magic wand, like wave it and be different. What I, like I the hear idea of you saying, Erin, is that when you're a person who is pursuing personal growth and self-awareness all year long, then you don't need to do it in January, right? Right, right. <laughs> doesn't have to be January. No. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right about the changes and growth in your life happening over a long run and not being able to be triggered by a calendar or a shift in a date. And I was just thinking about that this week that I had um, gotten into a really good kind of exercise routine, maybe starting back in November. Um, And it was not based on anybody else's timing that said, it's time for you to, you know, get healthy again. It wasn't Mm -hmm. based on these external things of new calendar or new. It was that I had just come to a point in my life where I was like, I really need this for my own um, well-being, for my mental health, for all Mm -hmm. sorts of reasons. So I was finally in a place to kind of excavate, well, why haven't I been able to do this before? And what is it going to take to shift and grow in this area? And so I, you know, been really thrilled, um, To have been able to do that for the last few months. And so when January flipped around and everybody like showed up at the gym now, because (laughs) yes, I am a bit smug. You're like, hey, I've been here. I'm like, hey, welcome to the gym. You know, but (laughs) this is my spot. This is like maybe I need to work. Did Maybe you hear I about the salad lines pride. in New York, Hannah? Did you hear about no, this? And, no, no, no. Yeah, and th- these articles, it was so funny. People were so irritated that their typical salad joints were being overrun by all the people getting on the healthy bandwagon. And they were they were saying there were lines like 50 people deep yeah. to get salads the first week in January. And people were like, hey, get out of here. I've been here this whole time. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and I think you're absolutely right what you were saying earlier about changing our habits, changing our routines really requires a deeper um, dive than just changing the circumstances around us. Um, It really does mean kind of excavating and unearthing the assumptions that lead us in certain directions. You know, like habits don't just form in a vacuum. There are reasons that we are in the patterns that we are in. Even if we want to change those patterns, you know, there's still good work to stop long enough and ask, well, why am I in this habit? What am I thinking? What am I believing? What am I doing that even established this pattern in the first place? Those patterns of thoughts, it, it sounds good when we can talk about it sort of disconnected from situations. And it sounds um very intellectual, like, oh, yes, we know we are driven by these things. And yet when it comes down to it, no one person thinks that they are driven by unseen forces. Oh, no, no. I meant you, Erin. I meant you're (laughs) driven by unseen forces. You are, but not me. I am in complete autonomy and control of my life. I think that the assumption that we are um, arriving 
And in some ways, you can think of it like this. Like, we think we are arriving at every situation with a clean slate, and we are being completely objective to what's going on in the world, and we're assessing the facts, and we're so calm and rational. And then we've come to our assessment of whatever is going on, and we think we have been free of any sort of outside forces, whereas in reality, we are so swayed by our lifetime of living in this society, in this country, in in our families, in our communities, there are things that we don't even know have built up over time and they've created this framework for how we process everything. But we think we're free of it. Right. We, we all, think it's that it's the, not affecting us. It's the age old question of does a fish know what water is? Right. Like you are right. in these contexts and paradigms that are so natural to you that you can't even identify that you're existing in them and you know whether it's habits or the daily practices the foods we eat what we consider sufficient exercise you know all of those things are shaped by the culture and the context we exist in but even the way we think about those things even what we think our bodies are for come to us in these kind of packets of thinking that have been delivered to us and we don't even realize that we're operating in those thought paradigms. And to me, it doesn't really become clear until like you're in a situation with someone else and maybe there's uh, an issue or a news story and you're like, I cannot believe you think X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And and it can mm-hmm. get aggressive and emotional and you know our insecurities and our need to be right can you know, create this conflict. But even if you can step away from that emotional expression of it, like you're literally looking at the other person and saying, I have zero capacity to understand why that is the conclusion you came to. It seems so obvious to me. Right. It makes complete sense the way that we've processed it. And And yet the other person is thinking the same thing. Right. And we can't even comprehend it. And because it appears so obvious, like it is so right in front of my face, this is the obvious explanation, this is the obvious opinion you should have. When someone doesn't have what to me seems to be so obvious, then I I think that's when we're tempted to inject bad motive. Like oh, you're definitely. suppressing mm-hmm. what is so obvious or you're intentionally rejecting what is true, therefore you must... Um, have all of these ulterior or mixed motives. And I think maybe that's where some of the stress we feel with um, demonizing other people comes from too, is like we actually don't understand how could you think something different? That Mm -hmm. seems so clear to me. We talked a bit about this in our fall series, talking about talk, where in, in our conversations, we would engage with people and uh, we we gave examples of, well, how do we approach situations where people come from a completely different point of view? And then how do you still foster good conversation and, and build up relationship with words that are um, life-giving rather than, than ones that are um, breaking things down and, and causing more trouble? So we talked about that in the fall and and I loved that series. That was so fun to be able to process that from so many different angles over the course of those episodes. And so 
here we are talking about these these patterns and these habits, and these are the things that fuel our conversations. And so that's why we are so excited, listeners, that we want to introduce our next big series. Um, we're going to look at all of these ways that our thought patterns are fueling how we actually think and how we actually are coming at our stances. And I, I feel like this is going to be a key, almost like it's a, um, it's an add on to that fall series. Don't you think, Hannah? Right. I think it was, it's going to be the next natural, uh, conversation or point of exploration because we talked a lot about how we communicate our thoughts and the kinds of things that can get in the way of healthy communication. But I guess you have to take a step back and say, well, how do we even form our thoughts? How do we even come to the conclusions and opinions that we have about things in this life? And if we can grow in that kind of self-awareness, how is that going to help us understand where the disconnect or the conflict is actually happening? And I think this is a skill we need now more than ever, especially as we exist in the digital world where we are interacting with people that we don't have shared context with. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have shared community. We don't have shared assumptions. And you could end up fighting with somebody who lives halfway across the country over an issue that's quote unquote national, Mm-hmm. But we are operating in such disparate spaces and our thoughts have been shaped by such disparate forces that it's no wonder that we come with such different understanding. And so in this series, we're calling it Ready, Set, Think. We're going to look at a lot of the ways that uh, our thinking is shaped, not just what we think, not the conclusions that we come to or the issues where we land on issues, but the kinds of forces that um, lead us to conclusions about different questions that arise. When I think about the, the, I guess, difficulties in communication that I encounter, um, it, it usually is something that's emotionally charged because really, if you're agreeing with someone there, you feel pretty good about it. You're like, yes, we think correctly. And, and it's only when you're with someone who thinks differently that the emotions come up and you cannot understand why that person is thinking the way that they do. And likewise, they can't understand why you think the way that you do. That abilities to step back a bit and to realize you both think that about each other. I feel like that has helped me so much to, to try to pull apart. How did I get here? How did I come to this understanding of this situation? And it wasn't just me assessing the facts and being right. It was something about my history and, um, every experience I've had, my personality, my family, my faith, all of that has brought me to this point. And go ahead. Yeah. No, no, you go. I was going to say that if, um, if I can, if (laughs) I can assess that for myself, which takes time, I mean, to be that self-reflective takes time, um, and to process it a bit, to understand where you're, where you are coming from. Am I giving that same sort of, um, I guess, attention to the other person? What if I ask that person, how did you get here? What, 
what's fueling this? And if you could at least understand the process and the steps of, oh, now here we are, and this is how we got here, then that demonization, I think, would be diffused a bit. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to recognize that we're not saying there's no way to arrive at valid opinions that can be tested. Mm, you know, mm -hmm. we're not okay, saying yeah. like at, at some level, everybody's opinion is equally valid. That's not what we're describing. What we're describing is that if you can understand how someone thinks, then you can also enter into their paradigm and be able to see where there's points of connection or maybe points of difference and what the real points of difference are. And what's I think that's especially important in our age that's so tribal, where we're so fractured along party lines or certain terminology or certain language or even certain symbols. Mm -hmm. So we have this visceral reaction to certain symbols and we it leads us to conclusions um and i think in a time of tribalism we must be able to think through how we arrived at our opinions and how other people did because we're we're likely going to find that there's a link somewhere between us um mm -hmm. and we don't have to just look at the lines that are drawn in the sand Mm-hmm. With our, our current um, emotionally charged climate, I think the internet tends to only exasperate that, those situations where we think differently and because we are not seeing the other people face to face, we're just um, putting out our perspectives into the void and, and then interacting with others and what they think. And it's, it's little sound bites, it's things on Twitter, and it causes um, this emotionally charged atmosphere that makes it pretty hard to step back and think of people as people and knowing that they have a whole lifetime of experience that has brought them to that point. And and to be able to find those points of connection is so key if we're going to sort out which are the right ideas. And there are places where I will need to adjust. There will be places where everyone else needs to adjust, but we'll never get there when it's basically the the fighting and the outrage one against the other. I think what one of the first things we need to just consider and accept is that our responses to things reveal more about us than they do about other people. Mm. Our responses to a news story or our initial emotional reaction to some issue that comes through is going to tell us more about the process of our thinking, how it has been established, than any disagreement with another person. Um, then it's going to tell us about what they think. And, you know, about a week ago, I don't know if you saw that video that was going around um, about the students at the March for Life and they had oh, yeah. mm -hmm. MAGA hats on and there mm -hmm. was this encounter with another uh, group that was demonstrating with a Native American group and I think there was a third group involved and it was the perfect storm. And I guess it happened over a weekend and people had more time on their hands than normal. I don't know, Ooh, but it just 
blew up and the responses and the calls for, um, you know, people were revealing themselves all over the place. But I don't think our initial response to a controversy like that is to say, wow, that really tells me a lot about my assumptions. <laughs> like, <No. laughs> all, all these people viewed the same video and walked away with vastly different interpretations of what happened. And I have read people say that it was kind of a Rorschach test of... Mm-hmm. What you see there is actually more revealing about the categories that you think in than what is happening there in the actual video or even what your opponents are thinking. But of course, what I see in it is the right way. So if people only thought like I thought, then it would all be better. So so yes, I, I did um, see all of that that was going on online with that situation. Interestingly enough, I was out of town and um, was visiting with friends and we had lots of things going on. So I was not online a whole lot. So then when I came back to regular life and I was trying to process it, it was sort of like I was seeing it after some things had been sorted and people were saying, ooh, this is so complicated. There were so many layers to it. And so in some ways, it sort of helped me to um, approach it from that angle from the get-go. I could totally see why people were initially very upset one way or the other. But then to see all the different sides trying to make sense of it. It's like, oh, okay, this is what needed to happen was to put all the pieces out on the table. But usually, again, when emotions are stirred, we are just so quick to come with the pronouncements instead of trying to understand exactly what's going on. Um, and I, I think you're right, Hannah, about how this is revealing more about um, what we are almost like we are queued up to respond to certain things in certain ways. Um, and once we hear certain terms, especially in this political climate, it's like if we hear a certain term, if we are pro or con for that term or for that symbol, all of a sudden it's just like press play. We've already got our response ready to go. And so those are the sorts of things that um, in this series, it will be it will be key for us to look at what are these presuppositions what are these things that we've already decided and we're bringing them with us into every situation and to understand how is that affecting our judgment um how is that affecting how we relate to other people and also i think our own internal well-being i, I don't think we we spend enough time realizing that our thoughts and how we have them all lined up already, that does affect our outlook and our everyday mental health and emotional health. Right. And if we're not evaluating the categories that we're operating in, it has the potential to stunt our growth. Like we could really be setting ourselves up to be, um, yeah, just, just stunted in our thinking um, to crystallize where we are and not be able to continue to learn and develop and to grow, not just mentally, but, but also in our capacity to embrace other people. You know, if I already have everything down 
that I need to know and mm-hmm. I don't need to learn mm-hmm. anything else, that is going to severely limit your relationships with other people and whether you even find them worth engaging in, with. Um, and I was thinking in this respect how often we do operate in the categories that are established for us and by the simple fact that we are comfortable in them and don't know that other categories exist, we just assume that's all there are. And I was talking with someone about this just this last week about um, she was making a shift in some of her life and the people around her couldn't quite understand why she was making those shifts. And I said, well, that's like if you suddenly, you can see color and you're looking at the world in this spectrum of light, but other people are colorblind, and you're trying to describe to them purple, they have no category to even understand what you're saying or why you're speaking in this strange language. So some of what we're talking about isn't a matter of just stubbornness or you know even ignorance, it is we do not even have the same frame of reference or the same categories um, to even understand each other or to explain each other's behavior. I mean, how do you explain purple to someone right, who's never right. seen purple? I, I mean, this is this is like that blue gold dress fiasco <laughs> or or the little test that we had about that dress. Do you see it blue and blue and black or gold and, and silver or whatever those colors were. I can't remember, but everyone saw it from a different perspective. And it was sort of like, how can you not see it the way that I see it? Such a good example, Hannah, of how if our, our eyes are almost like geared, um, to see things a certain way, we don't even understand how they could be a different way. Um, and, and I think that's good for us to remember that, it's not like people are thinking differently from us just to spite us. Um, there's something about differences of, op- of opinion that I have found that it can stir in me this sense of, well, I feel like you're attacking me because you don't think like I think. And to be able to let someone be where they are um, and, and try to learn from them and be a learner, that's a a step toward humility that is hard, but needed. Um, and I'm even thinking about this, Hannah, from a faith perspective. Uh, you mentioned there about um, being willing to have your, uh, your preconceived notions shaped and how that is a, a, a step toward humility. I was thinking about how in the Christian subculture, we talk so much about having a Christian worldview and it's always assumed that whatever it is, we have it. Me personally, right. By I the have fact it. That you're a Christian. Right, right. However I have it. However you view the world, therefore yeah. is a Christian it, worldview. And so then the assumption is, well, if you are a Christian, you think differently than me, then well, now your faith is in question because certainly I have the Christian worldview. I don't know what you're doing, but you don't have it because we think differently. And this, uh, is relating to, I'm digging into uh, one of James Smith's 
um, books, Imagining the Kingdom. And this quote I thought was so good here. He says, our actions are based not primarily on cognitive deliberation or even our own perspectives, but on the most part, on acquired habits, unconscious desires, and pre-intellectual dispositions. We might have a highly developed articulate worldview and yet act in ways that are remarkably inconsistent with such a perspective. His analysis here is that what we say we have is a Christian worldview, and yet so often what we do doesn't line up to that at all. And we don't even know it. And so, so much of our thinking is fueling our behavior, but we just assume it's all within this Christian category because we are Christians. And, and so much of it may need adjustment. And we are being ruled and fueled by narratives and, and presumptions that don't line up with the Christian faith, but we aren't even aware of it. Like these are things that are just unknown to us. And exploring that is what we hope to do here in this series. I think that disconnect is really a lot of times at the basis of why we act in ways we don't want to act. You know, why we end up doing things that we don't under, we don't, we say we don't want to do, but then we end up doing it. And I remember encountering that idea a couple years ago in a book by Jonathan Grant called Divine Sex. And he was tackling the question of if Christians say certain things about sexuality and about um, chastity, if we teach these things, why is it that young people are not living these ways? Why is it that we see this disconnect between the message that we are promoting and even say we believe, but then our actions go very differently to it? And his point was that we're actually being guided by a whole lot of other forces in our culture that are leading us toward um, a very different vision of sex than what we're teaching in the church. So it's things like individualism and consumption. And those things are causing us to be propelled toward choices of free sex that are inconsistent with the message of the the church on sexuality. And so he was saying, if you really want to address the question of what to do with your body sexually, you can't just talk about sex. You have to talk about individualism. You have to talk about consumption because you have to get to the root of why people are making the choices they're making in the first place. And that really was... Um, really formative for me, not just in that issue itself, but to think more largely about spiritual formation and understanding that you've got to pull up a lot more presuppositions than just telling people don't do X, Y, and Z, or you need to do ABC. And if you do these things, this is how you'll have a Christian life. And you have to create a situation where they become um, shaped and formed in such a way that they will naturally head that way, that that will be the logical result of all the other things that have been changed inside of them. And so those are the kinds of questions we're going to be looking at in this 
series. Um, things like, uh, do we have a scarcity mindset or do we have an abundance mindset? Do we exist in either or paradigms or is there this process of paradox um, that we need to be willing to embrace as we are forming um, our views? Uh, are we just trying to survive this life or is there a thriving that God has called us to? And so it's those fundamental forces and impulses that are actually guiding our choices and our opinions much more than that surface level of, I've just come to a conclusion. I love that summary, Hannah, and I'm very excited for um, the very next episode. We will be discussing the role of paradox and binary thinking with our special guest. We're going to have Jen Michelle with us, and she is um, uh, an accomplished author, a deep thinker in her own right, and she will be helping us to process those ideas as we kick off the first in-depth discussion of the series. As we head into that, though, Hannah, um, I would love to be hearing from our listeners as well and what they're thinking of this new series. Do we have a question of the day for them? We do. And I just want to set it up. Um, we have said that coming to awareness of our thought process and excavating what's underneath happens over a length of time. And, and it doesn't usually happen in a moment where we have this snap change or this snap realization. However, there is a point where um, that process that has been underground comes to the surface and you have that moment of realization of, oh my goodness, my thinking has changed about XYZ. And you can remember a time in the past when you thought very differently about an issue or a question and today you're maybe miles away or you approach it from a very different perspective. So I'm curious to hear. I, so the question of the day is, tell us an issue that your thinking has changed over the years. That at one point you had very firm entrenched ideas about an issue or a question or maybe even just a preference. But today you can't even recognize your former self. So what issues have changed? What have you thought differently about in the last 10 years? That's a good one. I look forward to hearing what everyone has to say on that. And of course, you can come on out to Twitter. We're at Persuasion CAPC. You can um, talk to us there. You can join us in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum if you're a member there, and we can mix it up and chat through all these things there. If you're not a member, you can become a member for just $5 a month and support this content and all the other uh, podcasts and articles that are being produced by Christ and Pop Culture. We want to say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in our podcast network. You can give them a listen at ChristandPopCulture.com. You can go to iTunes and search for them there. They're all about, I'm sure you can you can search for them and find them pretty easily. If you go to iTunes, we would love to have your ratings and reviews. Give us some feedback so that other people can also learn about us and find our show. We do thank you for joining us for Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com network. 
Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.